a series uh, Q&A, answering the questions. So before I reveal what the question is uh, here, we're going to touch on some things, kind of set it up and, and, uh, and, and ease our way into it. So um, if you haven't been here in the last two weeks, like myself, um, I won't get into that, but it was fun. So I, if there's ever a Karis New Testament church that needs to open up in Alaska, I'm your guy. So, but no, um, had an enjoyable few weeks, but or a couple weeks uh, of rest. So, um, anyway, so if you haven't checked out the last two weeks, our first two weeks of this series, uh, please do so. I did. I had the uh, privilege of doing that. So, it's been good, and we're uh, again we're in our third week. So, um, I want to start out with. A question. Uh, this seems like a ridiculous question, but uh, can you imagine a world without any standards? Can you imagine a world without any standards? And I work in a, a, a field, a, a, a workplace that we make medical devices, okay, and uh, orthopedic stuff. So anything to do with your bone and stuff. So we have standards out the wazoo. I don't even know what a wazoo is, but it's out there. There's a lot of them. But there's a standard for anything and everything, and it is highly regulated, all this stuff, you know. So, But that's my world. But um, no measuring systems. Can you imagine a world without measuring systems? Uh, can you imagine no standards in currencies, or no standards in alphabets, or no standards in time measurements. Like if I wanted to buy a vehicle off somebody and I'm like, I will give you my number two pencil. That's what I think it's worth. And then whatever. Or, or maybe two plus ten equals 536,000, but only when it's raining. That's what no standard. No standards means lots of standards. Right? A world with no standards. I mean, it would be, imp it would be it, it's, like I said, it's a ridiculous question. I mean, when you look in the, in the, in the world of, of economics or, or the medical world or, or um, music, right? There's timing and all that stuff and engineering. And these, these things wouldn't exist because there's standards, right? It's, they're acceptable Standards. I mean, everything is is uh, in science, and, and you can go on and on and on. But all of these things would be absolutely impossible, right? Is, is everybody in agreement with that? Everybody's probably in agreement with that. So the result would just it would just be chaos and anarchy. It would there would be no order. It would be ridiculous. So we all agree that that standards in life are necessary, right? Okay. Glad we're all on the same page. So, what about moral standards? Hmm, moral standards. Our culture used to have a, a clear understanding, for the most part, of of what's right and wrong. At one point, I automatically go to the fifties, leave it to Beaver, and all that stuff. But culturally, uh, there was a pretty solid understanding uh, of rights and wrongs. And now, where are we at? Now in culture, moral relativ 
moral relativism is the rule of the day. If it's right for you, go ahead. However you feel. Moral relativism. That's, that's, that's kind of like everywhere, right? In culture. We see it in culture. We see it in, in media. We see it whatever. Like, you know, you, you see things that totally blow your mind. Like, I cannot believe this is happening right now in our day and age. But everything's just relative. And we're going we're gonna to touch on a little bit of that here in a sec. So how do we get to our current state? How do we get to that? So current state of our culture uh, it didn't just happen overnight, right? Um, it was a result of events over the course of a long time, changing concepts, and even people, right? There were people influence culture. Even in pop culture, we see how much of an influence even musical artists have on culture. So, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but we're going to look at three, real quick, just kind of breeze by, three influencers. Everybody hear that word before, influencers? This thing on social media. Uh, I'm sure I'm influenced by somebody out there on the social medias. But um, So, these are just uh, three influencers that, that kind of had something to do with maybe the current state of our culture or society uh, as a whole. So the first guy we're going we're gonna to just touch on, and this is going to be super brief, no big deal, um, but Friedrich Schleiermacher, just the name raises a red flag. Like, this guy seems a little shady. All right, now he was a pantheist. That means he thought everything was God. Everything. The trees were God. Everything's God. Your chair you're sitting on is God. But that's, that's kind of the, in a, in a nutshell, pantheism. Um, he was known as the father of liberalism. So the father of liberalism, Friedrich Schleiermacher. And he wrote a book called On Religion in 1799. And it brought about the, this view of denying the Bible as God's Word. So he undermined God as communicator. That was his claim to fame, we'll say. So that, that was the first instigator. I'm sure he's not the first, but he's one. And, uh, and then Charles Darwin. We heard about him last week, I believe. So 1859, I'm not going to go into that, but 1859 he wrote Origin of Species. So he undermined God as creator and the moral authority. So... These guys are, aren't doing anybody any favors so far. And then, uh, the lastly, there's another, another guy. Our third influencer here we're going to talk about is a guy named Joseph Fletcher. And he introduced the concept of moral relativism that I just talked about. In 1966, he wrote Situational Ethics, The New Morality. So, he undermined God as the author of Morality, the author of morality. So, in the 60s, God was being removed or pretty much removed from the equation, and now morality was up for grabs. Like, whatever you feel, free love, you know, I didn't grow up. I grew up, I was born in the last two months of 1969, so I don't know if that I count. My, I wasn't even really fully operating yet uh, mentally, but. Anyway, so 
God was removed from that equation. We see God was removed from, you know, prayer being removed from schools. All this stuff my mom used to tell me. You know, they, they read the Bible in school. I, I, I feel like I remember praying in school, in a public school, and hearing about God at some level, and that was, you know, in the early, mid-early 70s. But So as God's removed from culture, we can see the results, right? And, and they're not too good. So the truth is rights and wrongs don't change with the winds of culture, right? So what was right? God, who established his right? Right and wrong, right? God, right? He's the, he's the author. So, just because it's a different time, it doesn't mean right changes. What's right changes. It doesn't mean it's wrong changes. This is elementary stuff. Sorry to bore you. But, I mean, I, I, I hear uh, somebody um, referenced uh, a president and, uh, you know, like where they stand on certain moral issues, I don't know, I feel like it was to do with, like, you know, homosexuality or something like that, some sexuality. And, and basically his answer was it, you know, well, this is a different day and age. So it's changed. Well, no. The Bible is the established standard, right? Especially for us here and those of you who are followers of, of Jesus. So um, we all know that, but... Um, God cannot be extracted out of morality. He can't. It's tied to the core of who He is. He is the author of it. Right? We all know this. This is, I feel like I'm, I know I, for a fact I'm preaching to the choir, but um, He is the author of morality. So we're going to look at two real quick verses based on the fact that what's, what was right, still right, what was wrong, Still wrong as far as God is the author of, of all that stuff. So Malachi and Hebrews have a couple things to say. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. So if you want a solid, consistent something, it's the Lord. He's the same. And then Hebrews 13.8 um, affirms that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is our Sure foundation. He is the solid rock, right, on which we stand, uh, never moving. So you can always count on the Lord. And uh, He doesn't change. So He's consistent and He's a good, good Father. And uh, we just sing about that a little bit and uh, I thank Him for it. But if God is not the communicator, all these, these three instigators, these three guys that I refer to as influencers of they remove God as communicator, creator, arbitrator of right and wrong. If, if that's not it, then, like I said, all we have left is what? Just chaos. Right? If, if this, it's just absolute chaos and welcome to America, everybody. <laughs> right? Welcome to America. Um, it's a little chaotic out there. Alaska's nice, though. But, anyways. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy and I'm not going to go down that road. But there's a guy named Stephen Carter from Yale University. He's a law professor. And he had a statement that says, we are paying the price for having banished religion from public life. And you know, he's just using that term religion. Is just we, we think of it in a negative context, but generally speaking, you're removing God from public life. And I mean, you don't have to go back 
super far, even in film, like the classic movies and the respect that people had for civil authority, the respect that people had for clergy in, in film. Just, you know, I'm, I think of movies like uh, um, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, things like that. So there was things back, if they're in black and white, they probably had some level of respect and honor for, you know, civil authority and, and the like and clergy and different things. And then you see this total 180 right, and uh, where they're digging on fathers and belittling, I mean, fathers have been painted as these dumb oafs generally, you know, in the family, and there's no honor and respect, and, and uh, you know, going into Christendom, going into the church is, I don't have to tell you that, it's just a, a, a constant, like, degrading, and in our culture, the, 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 the just a, uh, horrible dishonoring of our civil authority. And I'm not, I mean, obviously not everybody's, you know, perfect and all that stuff, but but there is a lack of just general respect and honor in our culture. And, and it's just to do with that removing of God from public life. So, um, and this kind of started, I, I'll, I'll blame it on Adam and Eve, you know, a little bit. So, Adam and Eve ended up believing that uh, the lie that God's words were no longer completely true, and that is the way the world is today. It just kept perpetuating. So, you know, that serpent came in, planted the seed of doubt. You know, if you eat this, God's just thinking you're going to, you know, you'll be like God if you eat this. And well, they, you know, we all know that they were already like God, made in His image. So they were believing that there was some withholding being done by God. And, and we know where... Uh, where that story uh, unfolds. So, uh, but God's word, the Bible, um, in our culture, I mean, again, it's propagated in all kinds of ways throughout the world. But you know, people in culture just see see the Bible as a fairy tale. It's just made up. How could it be real? Whatever. It's been so long. It's been changed. It's been whatever, whatever, whatever. And um, but the word of God, we believe, right? The word of God is the truth. It is right if you weigh what culture thinks is right against the Word of God. Word of God always wins, right? So it's not the changing winds of culture. So this is just kind of like the starting point here. The Word of God is the standard. It's our standard. If your thinking doesn't line up with the Word of God, change your thinking. That's your answer. So, and Romans 12, 2 reminds us that we should be, if we want to see our life transformed, we are to be renewed in our minds through the Word of God, through His truth. And uh, that's the only way you can really see a life transformation that's, that's worth anything. So, uh, so this it leads us into the question this week, um, how do I know the Bible is true? So the way we're going to approach this um, I'll be looking down a lot at notes, just so you know. <laughs> so um, maybe you see my little bald spot. Uh, but so today we're going to look at seven reasons why you can trust the Bible. Seven reasons why you can trust the Bible, and um, 
So we're going to get into this. And this message stretched, it stretched me a little bit. So just so you know. So give me a little grace, okay? Um, and uh, we're going to get through this and I'm going to enjoy it. So uh, to cover this question, um, to cover this question that is posed up on the screen, you could easily, the study I did, the, you know, uh, you could turn this into a series all by itself. So, I'm not, we're not going to, we would be here for hours if I went over everything I was reading through and everything, so congratulations, we're not going to be doing that. So, uh, but we're going to kind of take a very simple, simple approach to this, looking at seven reasons why we can trust the Bible. So, the first reason we're going to look at, so prophecies, fulfilled prophecies. This is a, a, a reason, number one, that we can trust the Bible. Proph- we're going to cover just some prophecies about Jesus, not like specific ones. I'm just going to, again, this is going to be kind of a general walkthrough. So more than 300 prophecies were f- fulfilled by Christ's first coming. That's a lot. I don't know if you knew that. That's a lot. There's a guy named Peter Stoner. He was a mathemat- he's a mathematics and astronomy professor. But he was a skeptic of the Bible. And you've probably heard other people, uh, you know, there's movies about this, and people that went out to, that are, you know, in certain fields that went out to disprove the Bible and things like that. And this guy is, is one of those. So he set out to test the accuracy of Bible prophecy. And that's kind of like a litmus test for major religions to see where they fall in, in that category. So he chose 48 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah was to come. Okay, So out of these 48, he actually just chose 8. And these 8 were having to do with Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah. So um, this guy, Peter Stoner, concluded that the chances of a man who lived to uh, fulfill all eight of these prophecies just based on being born in Bethlehem. For a man to fulfill all those, it would be one in ten to the 17th power. So to put put that in perspective, and I've heard this reiterated by different people over the years, and maybe you have too, but I'm going to reiterate it. Now you're going to hear it from me. So... If you haven't, welcome to the conversation. So, to put 1 in 10 to the 17th power, the chances of these eight prophecies about, about Jesus the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, so the chances of that look like this. So, I checked this out. I googled it. We know the Google knows. So, Texas. 268,581 square miles. That's what Texas is. Second biggest after Alaska. Alaska's being mentioned a lot today. All right. But imagine all of Texas being covered in two feet of silver dollars. Just coins. Silver dollars sounds impressive. All right. So you take a, a guy blindfolded, and it really is irrelevant if he's blindfolded, fly him over and in a helicopter. Say, you just give me the word, tell me when you want me to let you down, and I'll let you down. And he says the word, drops down, 
And there's one marked coin in the entire state of two feet of coins, 268,581 square miles. And he's got a one chance to pick up that marked coin. That is what 1 in 10 to the 17th power looks like. Can anybody say impossible? But anybody who's seen the movie Dumb and Dumber would say, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> so, anyways. <clears throat> so that's, that's what 1 in the, uh, 10 to the 17th power looks like. So the chance of all 48 prophecies fulfilled would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. I didn't want to think about illustrations to cover that one. So, I'm sure it had to do with coins covering the entire planet or something. I don't know. But, uh, so Jesus did just that. He fulfilled all these prophecies. So, end result is this, this guy, Peter Stoner, uh, came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he was convinced that God and the accuracy of his word was legit. So, that's pretty awesome. But I'm going to take a little sip. Alright, let's get on to the second, uh, the second one of these seven points we're covering. So, historical accuracy, and I'm just going to touch on one thing here. Again, like I said, this could be a series in itself. It's, there's a lot going on. But prior to um, 1947, uh, and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have we all heard of that, at least referenced or something? The oldest, the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah was from AD, 9, AD 900. Okay? So in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, that was, uh, those were dated around 150 B.C. So there's about a thousand year difference there. And despite that thousand year difference, um, it's, you know, it's, said that, you know, how old the Bible is, and people argue that point of, like, it's been so long, and, you know, things changed, and rewritten, and copied, and translated, and all this stuff, and so, when these scrolls were discovered, they took the book of Isaiah, and compared it to the, the last, you know, that latest day, the 8900, and when compared, not one word, not even one punctuation mark was different. God perfectly, it was a, this, this is a supernatural thing here. Not one even punctuation mark was off or had been changed to those two in a thousand year difference. And then just kind of touching on the New Testament and, and the art, some arguments is like, you know, for the secular um, um, books that have been written over the years, different people, and Homer's Iliad and all this stuff, um, you know, the, the amount of copies there are, and then the, the time span between like the life of this person and the, the first writings. Some could be thousands of years and all this. So there's a lot of things going on in that, and I don't want to get caught up in that, but um, do you know how many copies or how many um, manuscripts are of the New Testament alone? There's like 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. And, 
And a close second place to that is Homer's Iliad at 648 copies. So that's and and there's no dispute. The, the funny thing is, with these other great works from past, you know, Aristotle and Homer's Iliad and and all these names that I can't remember off the top of my head that I read recently. Um, there's no debate the accuracy of them or no debate on their in, the integrity of those works. But yet the Word of God, which far surpasses the, the manuscripts and, and all of this, and far surpasses all of those by ex, like exponentially, that's where we can we kind of see like that spirit of Antichrist coming in and trying to attack the 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 purity of the Word of God and and just how God has um, sustained His Word. I mean, it's it's beautiful to see that. But twenty four thousand copies manuscripts of the New Testament exist. So um, there's a guy kind of to just like add to this. There's a guy I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Gluck, G-L-U-E-C-K. So glue, and then, so that's what I'm going with. So Dr. Nelson Gluck says the greatest modern, he, this guy's the greatest modern authority on Israeli archaeology. And, and this may or may not mean anything to you, but um, it's, it's something. Uh, it says, he made, he made the statement, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. So any archaeological finding, and there's been innumerable in Israel, nothing has ever contradicted what the Bible has to say. And I actually, on a side note, I was watching a uh, one of the people I watch on YouTube, a minister, and he was interviewing, does anybody know who Rick Renner is? Rick Renner, he's a Greek uh, scholar. He was pastor in a church in Russia. I mean, this guy's top-notch. And uh, anyways, he was sharing um, about the recent, it was like he was talking as though he had seen it or whatever, but uh, Noah's Ark, all that stuff. But it was, uh, it was interesting. But just all of these, the archaeological findings, and, and I'm just touching on like making a reference to it, but um, there's never been one to contradict the Bible, and uh, and just again, it's it's innumerable how many have been discovered, and it's I believe that's just another way of God revealing Himself to the world and just re uh, reinforcing um, His reality. But that's just one more way. So historical accuracy is our second one. So let's move on to our our third point here. Scientific accuracy. So many principles of modern science were recorded as facts of nature in the Bible long before being confirmed by science. And I've always heard that it's science that's catching up with the Bible, not the other way around. And I'm just going to kind of like bullet point a couple uh, things. And I know Pastor Chad's actually shared this in the past as well. Um, I realize you feel like you're in school right now, so I get it. But <laughs> so Isaiah forty twenty two talks about the roundness of the earth. So the roundness of the earth, 
And uh, remember, I don't, I don't remember, I wasn't that old, but people used to think that if they went to the edge of the earth, they'd fall off. So I think there's still some of those people. Um, anyways, so um, in Isaiah 55.9, the almost infinite extent of sidereal universe. Guess what? I looked up the word sidereal. It means relating to the stars. So now we know. Uh, the law of conservation of mass and energy is, is referred to in 2 Peter 3.7. The hydrologic cycle, or the way the waters all work in the world, and evaporation, precipitation, all the stuff. Ecclesiastes 1.7. The vast number of stars covered in Jeremiah 33.22. The law of increasing entropy. Uh, Psalm 102. 25 through 27 talks about that. Uh, the paramount importance of blood and life processes. That's talked about in Leviticus 17.11. Atmospheric circulation. That's talked about in Ecclesiastes 1.6. And finally, the gravitational field. That's talked about in Job 26.7. So, all of these things that eventually science caught up with were mentioned in the Word of God. And as, as far as our, our, our modern scientific understanding of the Bible is in perfect accord. It's like science has never disproven anything the Bible has to say. It's the opposite. Right? Science has confirmed what the Bible has said prior to their discovery or their uh, proving that out. So, here we go. Like I said, science is catching up with the Bible, not the other way around. So, our fourth I think it's our fourth. Is anybody counting? Fourth. So indestructibility. Indestructibility. Uh, the Bible was being censored before censorship was cool. Right? It's still not cool. How many knows that? It's not, it's not cool. But the Bible was being censored before it was cool. So um, in AD 303, uh, the Roman Emperor Diocletian ordered all Bibles destroyed. So I think he failed at that. But so that's that's the first culprit there, that guy. Um, maybe he wasn't the first, but that's the first I got. And then twenty years later, there's a guy named Constantine, and he offered a reward a reward for any Bibles that remained. I don't know what that reward was. Maybe it was a free Starbucks gift card. I don't know. But fifty within twenty four hours, fifty copies were brought to him. 50 copies. So, uh, next uh, attempt at canceling or censoring a Bible. In 1199, 1199, Pope Innocent III, that's an ironic name, Pope Innocent, um, ordered all Bibles to be burned, and if caught with a Bible, you could face house arrest. So, this guy... He, he's like, you want to cancel the Bible? Hold my, I don't know. Did they have beer back then? Hold my beer. So he was trying to top that. So in the 1920s, Joseph Stalin ordered all Bibles purged from the USSR. So he ordered all Bibles to be purged. Here's a little side thing. Um, one of the most valuable Old Testament manuscripts, manuscripts known at that time, was in the state-run library in Leningrad. And 
he just couldn't bring himself to destroy it. Interesting. But that gives you bragging rights, I think. So maybe that's, that's what that was all about. I don't know. But shortly after the Iron Curtain um, fell, millions of uh, people were discovered to have Bibles. You cannot snuff out God's Word. And that can be reiterated in communist China and all of the other countries that the rulers don't want the Word of God uh, in there. So that's good news. And God's Word has flourished. It's almost, I mean, it's flourished in the greatest persecution in, in all history. Just like the church pers- or flourishes in the face of persecution. We, you know, it's, we see that right in the book of Acts. The more they were persecu- persecuted, the more they grew. And, and, uh, and God's word is, is exactly the same. So that's a supernatural thing. And, and, uh, and we just see that touching on these few different points in history. How, you know, again, it's all that Antichrist spirit be, behind these rulers trying to snuff out the standard, trying to snuff out the gospel the answer for humanity. That's in the love letter called the Bible. So the next one here is the Bible has unique structure. This is kind of simple, and I think we could probably all uh, say this if, if, I, if I question you on it, but the structure of the Bible is unique in itself. So there's 66 books written by 40 or more different men from all kinds of different walks of life, over the course of 2,000 years. Can you imagine? 2,000, that's a long time, okay? It's way longer than I've, I, mean, I want to make a joke about somebody, but I'm just not going to do it, age and all that, but 2,000 years, and it's consistent through all 66 books. How can that be outside of God ordaining the whole thing, inspiring the whole thing. And, and at the time, none of these writers had any idea that what they were penning, that what they're writing was going to end up in this love letter known as the Bible. And it's amazing. So, 66 books, over 40 authors, over 2,000 years, and everything is in perfect harmony. Not one thing contradicts another. And that in itself is a testament to the truth, the validity of the Word of God. And Second Timothy 3.16, 3, I, I just kind of touched on this, but says all Scripture is by inspiration of God. And that is simply exactly why it's so much in perfect unity and it flows perfectly. And God chose those who penned His Word. They were inspired by Holy Spirit. So, and that's what we believe. But even in you know, the secular world, to see a work like this over the span of 2,000 years, to be in such perfect harmony over generations and generations and generations is astounding to me. And I've, I've heard, and maybe you've heard different people speak just to this exact subject and just 
just the level of, um, I don't know, awe-inspiring reality of what it took to, and people gave their lives for this, both in writing and translating and copying and all of this. And just the integrity of the word is, is you cannot put enough emphasis on that and how amazing it is. And it's, it's excellence. And why would we expect anything less from our excellent, excellent Father? And the next thing is universal influence. I believe this is the final one, maybe. I'm not sure. But if we're already there. You guys are going to have early lunch or something. It ain't over yet, though. All right. So as far as Western civilization is concerned, the Bible um, is its foundational document for Western civilization. The Bible has inspired and is quoted more than any other book in the world's great legal, legal documents. More than any other book, the Bible is quoted. And biblical figure, figures appear in 117 of the world's most famous paintings. These are just, we're just seeing the influence of the Word of God in society, in culture, historically. And the Bible has been the inspiration of the world's greatest music. Uh, more than all other renowned books combined. And, and some of that music, the great you know, composers of, of history, um, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Handel, Haydn, Mendelssohn, Mozart, they were all stirred by biblical truth. And isn't that beautiful? This beautiful music coming out of, I mean, who created music? Music was here before we were. Amen? So, it was all stirred by that. And as Americans, you know, the influence of the Bible and biblical ideas is clearly seen, you know, our, whoever wants to contradict it, it's, they're full of it, right? <laughs> this is a Christian nation. This, this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, values. Our constitution is based on the precepts of God's Word. And uh, you know, that's, that's a whole other topic, and I know you've heard lots and lots of stuff about that, but you cannot dismiss the truth of that and the founding fathers, and how many were ministers, and even those that are considered the most secular. I think Thomas Jefferson is thrown out there as the most secular. Even he had the highest of regard for the Word of God. And, um, and uh, that's, you know, that's, again, that's a, that's a whole other uh, rabbit trail or topic we can go down, but uh, that's just how impact, in, impacted this nation was uh, by the Word of God. So, and, in, and again, entire educational systems, modern medical and nursing fields were built on biblical techniques and morals. So the Bible, I mean, we could just go through our day-to-day -day and the whole world is a, is a giant society. The Bible has impacted everything. Like just the Word of God, has, it's just a common thread through all of the worth notable things in this world. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And it is our absolute standard. And then finally, a life-changing effect. The life-changing effect of the Word of God. So without a doubt, 
and we, we all know this in here without a doubt, the Bible has had a greater impact on humanity, I kind of just said that, than any other book, without a doubt. Um, no other book has divided nations or united nations, and yet changing the souls of those people, of those people in those nations. Romans 12, too, I kind of already said that, but you know, the transformation of lives, the real transformation of lives can only come through that renewing to the, the standard, the Word of God as the standard, as the moral standard. And, and, uh, and this all, you know, we all know what's the best, best selling book, right? I think probably more have been given away than bought. I don't know. But um, all time best selling books has impacted the hearts and minds of people from, it knows no boundaries race, nation, tribe, everywhere it's gone, it's been the greatest impact globally throughout all, all of history. And uh, millions of people have been changed by the word and they found, they found their, those millions and millions and billions of people have found the word to be the truth. The word is truth. And, uh, and, and the wisdom and the counsel I mean, just in Proverbs alone, um, the wisdom that, that, that comes from the Word has been proven. Um, I mean, if society was just, I know Pastor Chad said this over and over, just, it's the best way a society can run is by using the Word of God, the Bible, as its standard. Do you, do you agree with that? I agree with that. And we're going to, one day see that. Um, but, uh, and then again, the, the most important thing is salvation, the, the salvation everybody is looking for only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, which, who is revealed, who is the Word made flesh, who is truth Himself. And John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's, that's what we're talking about, this life-changing effect. When people know the truth, you could be in prison and be made free by the Word of God. And we've all heard those testimonies, probably Reverend Chuck more than anybody, seeing the impact of, of the Word of God, the reality of Jesus Christ revealed through His Word, and seeing people set free. But in closing, um, I'm going to read a couple things that, that King David said about about the Word of God. Um, in Psalm 119.103, King David said, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And then in Psalm 119.105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, and just as far as some, some bullet points to leave you with, um, I realize this was very elementary. It was very simple, but I've also said I'm a simple guy, so um, that's, where I, that's where I come from, but the Bible is internally consistent, and we just kind of touched on that, highlighting the book of Isaiah there, and, and all of that, and it, it can be stated for, for the Word of God in its entirety, and it's been externally validated. It's miraculously preserved. I mean, we touched on that, how people have tried over history, tried to snuff out the Word of God, and 
again, the translators and people who have given their lives to keep the Word of God pure and the integrity used in, in those who penned it in the Hebrew culture. And it just, it, I did a lot of reading, so it was overwhelming to go through all this and kind of see the level of God involvement in, in the history of the Word of God. And um, it, it's just beautiful. And I'm so grateful, and I do not take the Word for granted. And I, I hope you don't as well. And it's comprehend, The Word is comprehensively accurate and Christologically affirmed. And we kind of talked about that with just those prophecies of Jesus and that man going down that road and, and seeing the amazing outcome of those prophecies fulfilled in Christ Jesus and, and, and you know, humanly impossible, but with, all, with God all things are possible. Amen. So I'll leave you with this verse in Matthew 13, 31. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And that's the truth. God's word will never pass away. Not one jot or tittle, and that's just like we kind of covered, not even one punctuation mark will pass away until all is fulfilled and His Word stands forever. And I pray that you would, this has been an encouraging thing, and again, these series that we're in, we're kind of just, we're giving you tools to um, reuse, and, and uh, if, you, if you'd like, go back and listen to this, or and also, just all of these when we get through it all. But tools are just, in your own life, in your own sphere of influence, uh, maybe to create conversation or to inject into conversation just the, the beauty of God's Word and, and, the, and these things that we're going through, these questions we're answering are, are just general things that, you know, their, their, their focus is on against Christianity as a whole. And, and, and these are just like, um, again, tools to help you uh, give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And, and, uh, and that's good. So um, for me, I know it's, it was very encouraging just to kind of study through this. And we'll get into a related thing next week. Um, but uh, that's it. It was, it was pretty, pretty simple. But the Word of God will never pass away. It is the standard. It's always right. And the main thing for all of us in this room is if our thinking does not line up with God's thinking, which is His Word, our thinking needs to change. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.